Hey, this is Evan Marquette, a dating coach for smart, strong, successful women, and your personal trainer for love. Welcome back to the Love You podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about 12 questions for all long-term couples. When we're done with this podcast, you'll get an opportunity to apply to Love You and finally find a relationship with a man who makes you feel safe, heard, and understood. Uh, without further ado, uh, I uh, just got back from vacation. Uh, you could probably see it in my cheeks. Uh, got a little pink. Uh, went on a Disney cruise with the family. I don't know if you've ever been on one of these things. It's an experience. It's a lot of food. It's a lot of kids. It's a lot of Disney characters. But it was a really amazing time. So if you have a family, I endorse Disney cruises. I'm not getting any money for that. It was a nice way to spend a week over spring break. Now, more importantly, what you're really here for. Um, we're going to begin with our Love You Insight for today. Uh, and this is one that's kind of painful for me because I care so much about my clients. I work so closely with them. Uh, I'm not just a guy who spouts stuff on the internet, on TikTok videos and YouTube and Instagram. I actually have clients who invest money and I hold their hand through a process and I really hope that they get amazing results. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story of a couple of clients of mine who didn't quite get the most amazing results that they were looking for and where my responsibility ends and where their responsibility begins. So this is a story of someone who we will call her, what should we call her? Karen. We'll call her Karen because Karen's a name. Uh, Karen fell hard after being in Love You for about three months, meaning my program is a six-month program. Uh, where I teach you everything I know. The first three months are about dating. The second three months are about relationships. By the time you're done, you know everything there is to know, but there's a big difference between having the knowledge and applying the knowledge and living the knowledge. Most people can, can figure out best practices for dating advice. Just Google anything on the internet. It'll tell you there's a lot of people giving decent advice out there. It's much harder to live the decent advice. And that's where Karen had some trouble. So she is a successful doctor. Um, she's a single mom. She is warm. She is beautiful. She's very easy to find people to be attracted to her. Um, uh, and with my help, she set up an online dating profile. We paid for professional dating photos for her. We did all the things to set her up for success. And she did what most people do at the very, very beginning of online dating is the second you find a guy you like, you anchor on him. And I can understand why, because the guy that she anchored on, you know, a few weeks into our online dating process uh, was objectively successful, another doctor, cute, objectively, um, age appropriate, single dad, looked perfect on paper. And I got to witness the growth of their relationship, even got an opportunity to meet them in person. I will not tell the circumstances because that would give away who she is and where and where she lives. But I actually had an opportunity to meet them in person and spend tons of quality time with them. And even though he was a bit of a red flag to me because he was recently divorced, meaning within the past year, um, I was trying to trust my client's judgment 
no, he's really good to me. No, he's really into the relationship. No, he's doing everything right. And certainly he was doing everything right. He really, I wouldn't, it wouldn't even be called love bombing. He just basically demonstrated early on that he was very into her. He was completely focused on her. He wanted to be with her. And he was an amazing, amazing boyfriend. Uh, stuff we were leaving out. She heard through the grapevine that he was a player. That was one thing she heard because it's a small, small universe. So she heard that he was maybe a player. I told her to keep an eye out for that. Um, uh, I gave her the caution flag that he is recently divorced. And then when we were together, all of us at dinner, he confessed that he never wanted to get married again. Um, not even confessed. It wasn't like a, like we had to choke it out of him. He, he basically volunteered. Uh, which is very normal. People who are recently divorced, the last thing they're doing, thinking of doing is getting married. And so these are the orange cones. These are the, the yellow tape that she's driving through as I'm waving my hands to say, maybe you should slow down. Maybe you should stop. Um, and this is hard because her feelings are so strong. She really likes him. She's starting to fall in love with him. They're talking about a future, but they might be talking about different futures. Has that ever happened to you where you and a guy are really excited about each other and he's right now telling you how much he loves you and how into you he is and how he doesn't want to be with anybody else and how he's never felt anything like this before. And all he's thinking about is how it feels right now, right? But where he's headed is not the same place that you want to be headed. Presuming you're like most of my clients who want to be in a successful long-term relationship with, which often involves long-term commitment in marriage. He's not thinking that far ahead. All he's thinking is right now, this feels great and I don't want to be with anybody else. And we take that feeling and then we extrapolate it into something where we're going hundred miles an hour on the freeway. What happens when you're going hundred miles an hour on the freeway? You're either going to crash your car or miss your exit. So this gentleman, it's a great boyfriend to my client, Karen. And the next thing you know, I go on vacation. Uh, she graduates from Love You. I've already waved my caution flag about, are you sure you want to enter into a relationship with someone who said he doesn't want the same thing you do in the long run? The next thing I know, I discover they are living together. All right. And one token, well, Wow, I must be some sort of dating relationship coach genius. I got a client and six months later, she's living with her boyfriend. Look how good I am. On the other hand, I know from my 20 years of experience that this is rarely how successful relationships play out. They usually don't go this fast to be living with someone right in a blended family where you both have kids where three months ago you didn't even you didn't even exist. You didn't even know each other. Right, so we're going really, really fast, despite the fact that I laid out all the reasons that she should either exit the relationship or slow down in the relationship. While I was on my little Disney cruise, I got an email um, saying that we needed to talk. I haven't had an opportunity to talk to her yet, but we need to talk rarely means guess what? Things are going great. Um, all she said was we needed to talk. You were right. So I haven't gotten the full story. Sorry to do this podcast before I got the full story. But I gently predict that my lovely client, Karen, is going to have to start over and she's going to have to start to follow some of the harder to follow advice of love you, right? which is that you don't know who you're dating at the very beginning. You've got hope, fantasy, projection, potential. 
you're projecting all these things into what you want them to be. You're doing it based on momentum and attraction and sort of like meaningless gestures. Like everybody can be in love. Most people don't know how to be in relationships. Most people don't know how to plot a future. Most people don't know how to navigate conflict. And so this reminds me of one other quick story I'll tell. I'll do the short version of this one. Is someone else who's in love you. She's in her late 60s and she signed up and she had the unusual distinction of coming to love you in a relationship for 10 years. Now, usually people are coming to me, probably like you. I'm dating online. It sucks. Nothing ever works. The guys out there are losers, liars, players. Everybody's looking for sex. They only text. Nobody wants commitment. The men in my area, I'm too successful. I'm too intimidating. These are the things I hear routinely from single women who are struggling. Very rarely do I get a woman who's in a 10-year relationship who hires a dating coach. So I took that very, very seriously. We enrolled her in Love You. And she told me her story. She actually took Love You six years ago when it was first launched. I didn't listen to the lessons there. Now she's in the same position, except she's 67. She's living with her man. She very much wants to be married, but the guy's already set out his terms. He doesn't want to get married. Right? Her name's not on the house. Her name's not on the will. She's not going to get anything. And she doesn't have the courage to do anything. She doesn't have the courage to stand up to him. She doesn't have the courage to leave, to realize she can do better. She could have more. She's stuck in the most obvious sense of being stuck, but she's basically a prisoner of the decisions that she made by herself, feeling stuck in a relationship that you can't get out of. Right. So these are all cautionary tales, right. the limits of what, what I think decent advice can do for you, of if you move too fast, if you invest in someone where you're not on the same path, you're bound to end up in a place you don't want to be. We always talk about relationships like like getting on a bus. You look at the sign on the bus before you get on the bus, right? You don't want to hop on a bus that you think is going to Boston and the next thing you know, you end up in Chicago. And that's what people do in relationships. We have sex before we know what they want. We call ourselves boyfriend, girlfriend we know, before we know what they want. We talk about a future without really talking about the future because if we actually talk about the future, we'll be distraught to discover, no, he doesn't want to put your name on his house. No, he doesn't ever want to get married. No, he doesn't want to be part of your family. No, he doesn't want to be a stepdad to your kid. What he wants is someone to sleep with him on Friday night and, you know, <laughs> then he'll take her to dinner for the privilege. That's all he wants, but you couldn't tell because you fell so hard so fast. So please, when you take this advice out for a spin, when you come to love you, there's no reason to rush. The man you're looking for knows that you're worth the wait. You do not have to figure out your future in the first couple weeks. What you want to do is avoid mistakes in those first couple weeks to make sure you're not getting on the wrong bus. So if this hits you in a very painful place because you have spent too much time, invested too much in men who don't share your vision of the future, found yourself stuck in too many dead-end relationships that were dissatisfying, please go to www.evanmarkkatz.com forward slash apply. Uh, in that video where you give me your email address, I'll show you a video that teaches you a two-part two formula to help you fix your broken man picker, make better dating and relationship choices, and you could apply to love you at the end of that video. Now, 
just want to give you a quick sm small uh, love you small win because small wins are the building blocks of the large wins. Right? This week while I was away, I didn't get to share this at the top of the conversation. I got a wedding photo, uh, which I posted in my private love you community from a client who's uh, early 30s, her first serious relationship ever. Um, I, I, I love I, I love her. I, I met her. She came out and visited in LA. Again, I don't reveal people's names, but she sent me her wedding photo from this past week. Another client from 10 years ago sent me her third baby photo when she came to me. She was a 35-year-old virgin, um, no dating or relationship experience, and now she is a mother of three. So uh, just letting you know, there's a reason I share these small wins. They turn into big wins. This week's small win. I met a really great guy. Turns out he was separated, not divorced. So I just told him I can't date a guy who's not fully divorced. Told him to reach out if his situation changes. And she said, I'm learning to say no, this isn't working for me. I think there's a reason I chose that one. I don't remember when I wrote this. I think there's a reason I chose that small one because it fits in thematically with setting these boundaries at the beginning of the relationship instead of sinking four months, six months, one year, 10 years into a relationship that doesn't actually serve you well. And now, my friends, we're gonna talk about something that's really, really juicy. It's my recommended read for the week. It's, uh, uh, I don't know where the original article took place, um, but I found it reposted on a site called The, the Place Retreats. And uh, you, can, you can find it in the show note links. You can find it in the YouTube links. It's called The Marriage Audit. 12 questions every long-term couple should ask. And this is by relationship therapist Jean-Claude Chalmay. And these are the issues you should tackle together. I didn't do too much intense prep for this one because I kind of know my thoughts on these things. I just thought you should know my thoughts on these things. Um, so 12 questions every long-term sh couple should ask. First one, do you kiss to say hello or goodbye? I'm already feeling that this is clickbait. <laughs> so do you kiss to say hello or goodbye? My prediction is that the author thinks that this is indicative of whether there's real love or affection. Um, I would venture to differ. I think this is one of those things where you could probably tell a story that couples who kiss to say hello or goodbye might have a better sex life or better attraction. Or All I think it means is that they're more affectionate. The way we talk about the five love languages, some people are acts of service person, right? Some people are quality time people. Some people are gifts people. Now, those are three of the five anyway, off the top of my head. So my wife would not be terribly excited or impressed if I kissed her hello and goodbye every time I saw her. My wife would get excited if I unloaded the dishwasher before she came downstairs to take the kids to school in the morning. That act of service is a thing that would really turn her on and strengthen our relationship. So um, do you kiss to say hello or goodbye? I think it's interesting. May or may not be telling. Um, plenty of families, certainly I've, I've got a bunch of clients who are, uh, who are Indian, uh, don't, tend, don't tend to show as much affection within the relationship. So I think there's a lot of reasons that, uh, that kissing every time you see each other may or may not be a telling indicator, but hey, who am I? I'm just a guy who gives dating or relationship advice, and this is relationship therapist Jean-Claude Chalmay. Um, next question. How much of your communication is about logistics? That's interesting. Uh, here's the reason it's interesting. 
when you're married with kids, it's a lot of logistics, right? A lot of logistics. Now, I think that makes sense when you're building a life with someone and your responsibilities in the marriage is greater than you are. So the responsibilities we have right now is that we're redoing the backyard and there's a crew doing construction in the backyard. And we've got two kids, 10 and 12, and they have various clubs, drama club, baseball practice, Hebrew school, right? Back and forth carpooling, right? These are the things that occupy a good amount of our time. Do I love that they occupy a good amount of our time? No, that is the nature of the life that we've built for ourselves. And as someone who's really conscious about relationships, I recognize this can't be our whole relationship, which is why we always have date night. We, we always have, they're like at least once a week, we, we have sex. We always have an opportunity to um, go out with other couples, throw parties in our backyard. We do not just get stuck in, he makes the money, she runs the household, and never there's no more relationship there. But to the original point, if your whole relationship is about logistics, that could be problematic the same way, theoretically, not kissing hello and goodbye could be problematic if it's indicative of the fact that there's no affection. All right. Now, I think this plays out differently if you're, you're not married. Uh, sorry, yeah, if you're not married, if you don't have kids. I think logistics can be problematic in that if you're constantly texting and you're trying to reschedule who goes to who, who's going to sleep over whose house, and you're spending more of your time talking about getting together, long distance relationships, don't even get me started. If you're spending more time talking about getting together than being in the relationship, I do think that an overly attentive focus on getting things done as opposed to being could be a problem within a relationship. Question number three, uh, dinner in a box set every night? Is your routine too predictable? Uh, also an interesting question. I, and I think that's that's where this whole thing is going to go, is you could read anything as healthy or unhealthy, sort of depending upon your take on it. There is uh, there's a person who gives, uh, gives uh, a lot of, uh, has a big Twitter account. Her name is Ayala, and she's polyamorous, and she's always talking about the virtues of polyamory. And she sounds like someone who couldn't even possibly understand the virtues of monogamy. And so it's like, she's always sort of talking, preaching to her choir. Um, and I could appreciate the virtues of polyamory. I'm sharing this for a reason, but you don't come to a dating relationship coach like me because you want to sleep with multiple people and switch out new people every six months in your life. My only point of bringing up this person, which is the first person I thought of, is there's multiple ways to be happy in life. I'm not telling you that there's only one way. Just because I say it doesn't mean it's true, doesn't mean it's true for you. But I'm feeling like this is almost a, a Rorschach test on that. Dinner in a box set every night is your routine too predictable. So multiple statistics. Number one, the best predictor of a happy marriage, or one of the, mo the, the three best predictors of a happy marriage is someone who does not seek novelty. Someone who does not seek novelty, what does that mean? he's not gonna be constantly looking for another woman other than you. But that's gonna play out in other ways. He might have a stable job. He's not gonna be always in some new get rich quick scheme, right? That's also a lack of seeking novelty. So in my relationship, I use it as an example, 
we do we have absolutely a routine we built this routine for a very specific reason i'm a husband and i'm a father first and everything else second so do i have dinner with my family every night yeah do we put the kids to bed around the same time every night yeah do i hang out with my wife and watch tv almost every night and then go upstairs and read a book yeah this is our routine our routine really works for us and our family once again, could it be the thing that kills romance? I guess if we weren't both happy with it, it could be the thing that does that, right? So you always want to build in fun, which is what I think this person's point is, build in fun into your routines. But if your whole relationship to go in the other direction is all fun and you don't have a routine, right? Especially if, you're, if you've got kids, right? It's a different story if you're single. Right? If you're single, you have a lot more room for spontaneity, right? So yeah, if you're two months into a relationship and you're already doing what my wife and I are doing, you should probably have a little bit more fun. But I do want to talk about how the idea that that routine doesn't have to be bad if it's a routine that feeds you both, that you both agreed on, that you both enjoy. Right? This is the problem sometimes is we, we try to impose our idea of what life should look like on everybody else's life. So predictability from a boyfriend, believe it or not, is good. Unpredictable, I don't know when he's going to text. I don't know when he's going to call. I don't know when I'm going to see him again. I don't know if he ever wants to get married. I don't know if he's really into me. I don't know if I could have that conversation with him because he might break up with me. We don't want too much unpredictability. Unpredictability is often very exciting. It's a bit of a roller coaster. We're looking for something that's a little bit of a smoother ride. So I'm not telling you how much TV you should watch or you know, if you're too grounded to routine, but make sure that whatever you do works for both you and your partner in that you have something predictable and together you can build in the excitement. You can build in the vacations. You can build in the, you know, uh, making love during the daytime uh, in between Zoom meetings. You can build all that stuff in, but it's because there's structure there first. Next, is the sex fun or is it a chore? That's true. You should never have sex as a chore. That said, having sex on the schedule is not a bad idea. All right. Once again, I'm speaking as a person who's married for 15 years. I'll tell a quick story. Um, and forgive me if I've told this before. I've got friends who, when we talk candidly about our sex lives as, as married people, they'll talk about how they haven't had sex for a month or two. Why? Because they're waiting for the moment to strike. They're waiting for the passion to arise. They're waiting for the circumstance to be perfect where they finally are ready to rip each other's clothes off in between the kids and the carpool. And the... So we are every weekend, every weekend for 15 years, sometimes more than that, but every weekend, it's not literally written down. We just decide that if we go out big with friends, you know, big group dinner one night, Next night, it's going to be Netflix and chill, and we know what's going to happen. We don't have to talk about it, but we never miss a beat. And it's really important because we have consistency. We never get into that place where we're going a really, really long period of time without it. Sex is never a chore. It's always fun. It's always gratifying, right? I can't speak to me, but I think my wife is amazing in bed, so we're great. Right? May or may not work for other people. So when you're designing your life, Yes, you want to have a similar libido, right? And yes, you want to be Dan Savage, good giving game, right? 
and pay attention to please your partner. At the same time, the idea that sex has to be a chore is really only a limit of one's imagination. I would never recommend you're in a relationship with someone you're not attracted to. I would never recommend a relationship where you don't have good sex. Right? But what good sex means varies from couple to couple. And if you're with a partner who wants to have an open relationship and experiment because he he read Sex at Dawn and he thinks that humans are more like bonobos and we are really a polyamorous species and he's got an argument to be made, you have a choice. My wife and I have talked about that choice. We are both attracted to other people. We choose not to do that due to the immense number of complications that that would open up, right? So do we have what other people might term vanilla sex? Maybe if there's a camera watching us, but every time we do it, it's really gratifying. So once again, I really want you to customize all of these 12 things to what suits you and your partner so you can build something that can last, right? Because this side is boring. This side is chaotic. You're looking for something somewhere in the middle. Number five, do you still hold hands? Do you still hold hands might as well be, do you kiss every time you say hello or goodbye? Um, uh, it is another form of affection. It's an easy form of affection. I definitely do this with my wife. We sit on that couch and hold hands or hold hands in the car or something like that. Um, I would rewrite that question to say, do you, do you give hugs? Right? This is, and this is different. It's different than affection. This is support. When I see my wife's having a bad day, I'll give her a hug, right? I'll just give her someone, someone to lean into because it's clear that that's what she needs. She doesn't need, need me to lecture her and be the optimizer and the problem solver. She just needs a good hug, right? To me, that tells a greater story than whether we, than whether we kiss goodbye when she drives the kids to school in the morning, personally. Number six, can you remember when you last learned a new thing about your partner? That's interesting. Um, I can remember the time that I uh, stopped learning new things about my partner, which is which was another sort of revelation. Uh, both of us are talkers, um, extroverts, uh, no real sense of privacy. We just air it all out. And so she knows all of my bad dating stories I know of about her ex-husband and her random hookups and whatnot. And it's, uh, I, I prefer having a relationship with, with those kind of lack of boundaries where we are full disclosure. Um, but I also remember being in Tahiti for our baby moon when our son was about to be born. And we were not, because we were not home with our first child and because we were on vacation and because I wasn't working, because we weren't with the baby, she was with grandma, we were at lunch and finally after five years, six years together, we ran out of stuff to say, which <laughs> it just sort of happened. We were like, oh, oh, we've told each other all our stories. There's no day-to-day -day updates. We're together. There's nothing to update you on what I did today. There's nothing to update you on work. There's nothing, nothing to update you on the kids or which of your friends is texting you or, right? And that was an interesting point in our relationship. It was like, oh, now we've got it all out. Now we're just building, right? And that's a different muscle in a relationship to build something after the getting to know you phase, which for us lasted for a really, really long time to this point. Can you remember when you last learned a new thing about your partner? I can't remember the last time I learned something new about her per se, 
but I do learn from her all the time. Every week she'll say something. She knows things that I don't. She'll teach me something. So it's not that I'm learning something about her. It's more that I learned that from her dad who was in the Navy, she learned this thing that she managed to tell us and the kids at dinner, which is interesting. Um, uh, I think this quiz tends to value newness more than anything. Uh, and that's, it sounds like a very Esther Peril thing, right? Mating in captivity, right? How do you keep a relationship fresh even when, right? Metaphorically, you're eating the same meal every day, three times a day. How do you keep that meal fresh? How do you keep your work fresh when you've been doing it for a long time? Sometimes you got to change the podcast format, right? Sometimes you need to work in an adjacent industry. Sometimes you need a promotion. How do you keep things interesting when you've been doing it for a long time? But that is so much more about you than it is about anybody else. I think that's the thing I want to convey. It's up to you to make these things happen if you're not satisfied with the status quo. Do you still make an effort with your appearance? Um, I'll leave that to you. I'm not a very vain person. I've never had uh, Botox or facial peels or something like that. The only thing I ever do to my appearance is I let my hair grow longer. I let my hair grow shorter. Um, shorter is easier and more professional on camera. Longer is the hair that my wife likes to grab. So that's the only thing I do with my appearance. My wife, on the other hand, cares very much about her appearance. She got that from her mother, who got that from her grandmother. And um, I, I tease her sometimes about her vanity. And yet, I think I appreciate that she doesn't, she, she still cares, but she doesn't care for me. She's not doing it for me. She's doing it for her. And I think that's an important distinction. She's not, she's not saying I have to, she doesn't worry about losing weight. That's not her thing, but like certainly her, her, her clothes, her hair, um, you know, lines around her eyes or whatever. That's something that she cares about for her. And I appreciate that she, she thinks about that aspect of our relationship uh, to give too much information. 15 years into our marriage, uh, I still haven't seen my wife on the toilet. Not number one, not number two. Never seen her on the toilet. Why? Because that doesn't exist. We, we we keep the door closed, right? She likes to keep some feminine, probably not the best use of feminine, feminine mystique, but she likes to keep that closed um, and just see her as the finished product of looking really pretty. So I think I appreciate that, but I don't think it's, that's also everybody's cup of tea. Some people like someone who's a little bit more natural, less made up. So there you go. Um, number Eight. What was the last thing you laughed about together? Oh, gosh, um, probably last night. Last night um, we had a Passover Seder with the kids and it was really makeshift uh, and janky might be the word for it. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, again, not, not something that's gonna make for a good story, but uh, I gave my son uh, horseradish and he pretty much spit it up, just like <laughs> spit it up all over the table during our, our very solemn religious ceremony. That made us laugh yesterday. Um, tangent. This is all tangents. Laughter is about the most important thing in a relationship. That could be question one through 12 here. 
um, not what was the last thing you laughed about together, but do you still laugh together? Did you marry someone who makes you laugh? I, I use, again, me and my, my go-to metaphors. Marriage is like driving in a car with someone cross-country, right, and not having a car radio. Do you want to kill this person by the time you reach cross-country, or were you delighted with the trip because you learned so much and you sang out loud, right, because we don't need music to sing, right? How does that trip go when everything is sort of stripped away? Right? Do you run out of things to say to each other? Can you make the best of things even when you haven't run out of things to say to each other? Right? So this is really what, what the crux of a relationship is. It's, is this person your best friend? So there's the practical aspects of marriage, right? Um, does he make money? Am I attracted to him? Is he smart? Do I respect him? And then there's the things that you can't get anywhere else. Could you imagine being, I mean, I know you actually probably could be imagine being in a relationship with someone who didn't make you laugh. Part of the reason I became a dating coach, part of the reason I went out with 300 people was that I found it really hard to find a partner who made me laugh the way I make her laugh. That's, that's the glue that we have. There's the people who are like, oh, we're going to try 17 kinds of, of monkey sex, um, you know, in the next 24 hours and take pictures of it for my OnlyFans. We're not those people. We're the people who, if you watched, put a secret camera in our house, you would find us laughing a lot. And that is our glue. Uh, I have a bias. I suggest you find the small percentage of people who make you laugh. Uh, I think life is too short to be with anybody else. Uh, number nine, does the prospect of an empty nest terrify you? I think that's the reason I included this in here. I think it's a really, really interesting question. You put so much of yourself into parenting. It so defines everything that you do, right? It would be, it would be like the prospect, does prospect of retirement scare you or does it thrill you? Losing something that takes up a whole portion of your life is going to be inherently scary. So yeah, I think I'm afraid of an empty nest, um, but for different reasons than other people. Our empty nest issue would be that um, uh, my wife and I have different schedules, right? I like to get up and do things. I wanna be up at early in the morning and have the first three, four hours a day to be really active. My wife would rather sleep in. So I do worry about when the kids get older, what our schedules are gonna look like. Um, because I think if the kids are no longer in school at six, seven in the morning, my, my wife is gonna sleep until noon. And that might be fine. It may not matter if I'm still working, but I have thought about that. This is just another version of the same question, though. Um, can you spend a whole bunch of quality time with your partner without it being propped up by other things? It's one of the things that I notice people do wrong, not wrong in relationships. People don't realize it's until it's too late. You see this a lot with long distance relationships. You see this a lot with, um, I would say younger people, but it's not even younger people. It's people who spend so much effort on doing and when we were sing when we were single before there were kids, we did a we did a lot more things. But if your whole life is we're going to go here, we're going to go here, it's almost artificial entertainment. You almost never even have to be with each other. I have a very close friend who had a five year relationship. The reason the relationship worked very well is because they liked doing the same things. It was when they stopped doing the same things at home, they weren't happy with the dynamic they had. They just liked the same stuff. So if he liked concerts and she liked concerts and he liked wine tasting and she liked wine tasting and he liked skiing and she liked skiing, 
then it gives the illusion that it's a really great relationship because we share things in common. But the bigger question is what happens when you strip that away? Who are you? What do you feel? How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about your partner? How does your partner make you feel about you? And what are you talking about? It can't just be, let's keep super, super busy to avoid feeling. And I see that with a lot of single people, maybe even you. You keep really busy. The pandemic exposed this a lot, but you keep really, really busy. And as long as you're busy at work and busy with your friends and busy with your hobbies, you never have to stop and be lonely and feel. And so it becomes easier to be single for a long period of time. Right. Then there's a point where a lot of other people are coupled up and you're, you find that it's harder to find people to do things with. It's part of the virtue of marriage, someone to do things with. But again, everything that taken to an extreme, if you're doing, 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 then you shouldn't be afraid of being alone with your partner, being in that car without the radio for, for a long time. It should be fun. Uh, next, 10, how many interests do you share? Uh, I would be the first to say that I think common interests are overrated. I think most people, this is what they look for. They go online, they look for the list of hobbies. We share these hobbies. We must be a good fit. I'll acknowledge that it's a good talking point. It's a way to start a conversation, but it's no way to have a relationship. Sure, you need to have something in common. No one's suggesting you have nothing in common, but great relationships can survive if she likes knitting and he likes golf, <laughs> right? That's a perfectly good relationship. I've volunteered many times. I play fantasy football. Never occurred to me I should teach my wife to play fantasy football or that she'd want to play and so on and so forth. So our interests, right? And your interest should be, how do we function as a couple and what kind of life do we want to build together? Do we agree on how much time we should be together versus operating separately and doing our own things? Because there's nothing wrong with someone who is uh, who loves international travel, going on a trip with her girlfriends, you know, a, a couple times a year. He's fine with her going on a trip with her girlfriends. But sure, it would be great if they both enjoyed international travel. So we're really talking about the feeling that you have in the relationship with your partner rather than a list of things that you share because that list tends to be too shallow, right? Sharing interests never keeps couples together. Any couple who's, who says they're together because they both like video games doesn't have a very strong marriage. It's just a thing they like doing together, which is lovely. Uh, number 11, do you complain to friends about your partner? Um, I think that's a personality type thing. Um, I share all my feelings with you guys and I share all my feelings with everybody. My wife is completely different. My wife keeps it all locked in tight, right? She comes to that military background loose lips sink ships when she was going through a divorce with her first husband she wouldn't tell her mom anything that was going on because she didn't want to poison her mom uh, against her husband in case they reconciled um i think that's a very uh, noble way to approach things um to keep it all bottled up and deal with all it all on your own i'm someone who's more likely to find connection and bouncing things off of people uh, i think the question here as it's written is do you find too much negative in your relationship? It's not about whether you turn to your friends to talk about your frustrations, because again, I would think it'd be common for husbands and wives to talk to their friends about their frustrations. It's whether the good far outweighs the bad. In a bad relationship, you're gonna have more complaints than good. So no matter what I share with you about my marriage, we're still 90, 95% good, right? And so 
if I share the five five percent, it's not really a big deal. No one would ever think that our relationship is under under threat. So that's what I would re reframe this to you is. Does your relationship, does the good far outweigh the bad closer to a 90-10 split? Or is it 50-50? Or is it below that where the negative far outweighs the positive? So you have no choice but to complain. As to how you process your emotions, whether you keep them to yourself or complain, it's probably not that big a deal. Number 12, are there subjects you never talk about? Um, the answer to that here is absolutely not. Everything's on the table. For the life of me, I don't understand couples who keep secrets. I know it's really common to keep secrets, but I think you want to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't feel the need to keep secrets. I mean, I really think, isn't that the ultimate? Just the ability to let down your guard and be yourself and your partner could let down their guard and be themselves and no one has to say one thing and mean another. And if you have a thought, you can express it and know that it's going to be okay and the person's not going to overreact and it's not going to cause a spite, a fight or a, 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 a negativity spiral. Um, I think that's something that's, that's I, I guess I'm contradicting myself. I'm saying, hey, however you function in your relationship, it's good for whatever works for you. But um, I guess there's the, the, the things I feel strongly about. You, should, you and your partner should share a sense of humor and you should be able to talk, be able to talk about just about any subject without it triggering um, a problem in your relationship. Because if you can't talk about any subject, how strong is your relationship really? If you have to compartmentalize things and leave them out because you're afraid of upsetting your partner, what kind of contract did you enter into if you can't even speak your mind? And the goal of a relationship is to, to be seen, to be fully self-expressed. So uh, I think those are the things that I would, I would place the greatest value on you as I process this silly questionnaire um, through the prism of my relationship and how it relates to you. So I wanna share this love you love story. Um, this, this also came in recently and I, again, I, never, I never get sick of them. I married the love of my life on Friday, October 14th, 2022 in a small and intimate ceremony surrounded by our immediate families. While I was already incorporating much of the love you values before joining, I learned many applicable and actionable strategies that were quite effective throughout my dating, but things just kind of fell into place very naturally and our personalities complemented each other very well. I think what did help was the consistent message of perseverance and really looking into character. Don't get me wrong, I'm incredibly attracted to my husband, but while character was often what I looked for anyway, in my husband's case, it cemented my commitment to him. Our relationship was and is easy, although life certainly threw a lot of challenges our way. It was these challenges that put into sharp focus how, how strong, honest, kind, thoughtful, respectful, and communicative my husband is, that he took hardship as lessons and sought to constantly grow. This was truly a very different kind of man than I had dated before. Through it all, whenever I ask myself the question, and this is a love you question, can you live with who he is right now in this moment for the rest of your life? Can you accept who he is without expectation or desire for him to change? My answer was always absolutely. As he and I often say to each other, I love him and I like him. I not only have romantic love for him, but I enjoy his company most of all. He truly is my partner. The love we share was the kind that I always hoped to find, but thought elusive and that I would need to settle. Instead, it grew more and more with time, observance, and shared experience. I'm also happy to report that our families really enjoy each other. Our mothers apparently have been texting since our wedding. We're still dealing with some of life's challenges, but we're finally, we're enjoying finally living together full time and making and executing plans for our future. And again, I think that ties together everything that we were just saying for the past 40 something minutes, 
right? About how it feels in a relationship. It's not about these checklists. It's about this feeling of trust and ease and hope, right? That you are building something that's bigger than you where you don't have to get caught too much in the details of the whys about who kisses who and who dresses better and what hobbies and what TV shows you like. That is a distraction from the feeling that you have in a relationship which is safe, heard, and understood. Are you the woman who has everything except a man? You can have the relationship of your dreams and you don't have to change to get it. In Love You, you will gain confidence, let go of unhealthy relationship patterns, learn to trust your judgment, understand and attract quality men, assess long-term compatibility, and create a passionate, unconditionally loving relationship with a partner who puts you first, never lets you down, and always makes you feel safe, heard, and understood. Go to www.evanmarkkatz.com and click on the Apply for Coaching button to get started.